Welcome back to the channel. I am so thrilled you've joined me again uh, at WCKS where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My name is Michael Russell. I'm your host. We are going to continue in our episode series on progressive Christianity. I ended last week with a sneak peek of what we would be talking about this week. Specifically, the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. And I kind of teased in the last episode from the article from Pavlovitz that social justice was the heart of the gospel. We're going to dive into that in this particular episode. I'm going to set things up a little bit in the beginning here. I want to start by saying I want to clarify the way you say Alyssa child. I have been calling her Childers, but it's Childers. I actually came across a interview that I highly recommend you check out. Um, it is by the podcast, The Remnant Radio, which I highly recommend you subscribe to. And they have a lot of excellent content on their station. They are very broad-minded, reformed, Calvinistic, uh, actual charismatic. Uh, I am growing more and more in my understanding and wisdom through this ministry, The Remnant Radio. Highly recommended. But in the links below, uh, description below, I have a link to the actual interview with Miss Alyssa Childers on the book, Another Gospel, which is the one that I have told you, and it's a link down below as well, that I purchased from her, you know, from Amazon, but it was her book, and I've been reading it, and I've been very blessed by it, and I highly recommend it to you as well. I want to get right into this episode and quote Mr. Pavlovitz from his article, which is also in the description links below, where he says this, quote, the truth is that progressive Christianity is so diverse that it simply cannot be neatly defined or summarized. But here are some things that most who claim the label probably agree on. And one of those is this statement. Quote, we believe that social justice is the heart of the gospel, that it was the central work of Jesus as evidenced in his life and teachings the checking of power, the healing of wounds, the care for the poor, the lifting of the marginalized, the feeding of the hungry, the making of peace. And I end the quote there. So give me a moment to rant a little bit. <laughs> As this came out in the interview of um, on the Remnant Radio with Miss Childers, that she said it's very difficult to actually define with with real clarity what their belief system is and the reason is they do not house themselves around uh, creeds for example they they dismiss the creeds um, which christianity you know tethers itself to these creeds that came out during the first century inclusive in the writings of scripture where they were already summarizing what we believed. These were the creeds. And from them, more formal, uh, publicly known creeds, like the Apostles' Creeds and so on, were developed. Okay, Whereas in progressive Christianity, they don't really have those creeds. That's the whole point, is they're progressing and they're, they're 
more relative in their thinking to where what's truth for me is truth for me and you can have a different truth and we should be open and willing to be diverse and accept diversity. So that makes it very hard to kind of nail them down, if you would, to belief systems, to specific belief structures. So back to off my rant, back to the episode, Mr. Pavlovitz's statement, and by the way, just to remind you, he is a progressive Christian. So this is out of his own view and his own mouth. The truth is that progressive Christianity is so diverse that it simply cannot be neatly defined or summarized. Now, this word diverse or so diverse kind of tugs on what's common and popular today, diversity. So the social movement of social justice grabs onto that word diversity, even though we've seen where those that espouse a progressive agenda are not inclusive and, and open to diversity as much as they claim, very specifically with regard to Christianity. They would be the first to push back against a Christian uh, orthodox view of things, morality and ethics and so on. Okay. But in context, it appears as though this diverse, you know, this word diversity is being utilized here by Mr. Pavlovitz tugging on that common um, language that is used today with regard to progressive circles. But let's get into what he says in context of this word gospel. Now, if you know anything about WCKS, you know that I absolutely love the gospel and I am bent on bringing it to bear in many of my episodes. But very specifically, if you look at the link above here, that is a recent ask episode that I dropped called, What is the Gospel? very clearly and distinctly laying out the biblical gospel. So I highly recommend you click on that link and go watch that particular video. But in this video, I want to repeat some of those things that are in that video to discuss and contrast maybe from what Mr. Pavlovitz is saying the gospel is. At the heart of the gospel is social justice, he claims. Yet the word gospel the actual word gospel in the Greek is euangelion, euangelion, and it means good news. It's used 76 times in the New Testament. And, the ver and that's a noun, the noun um, use of that word. The verb use is euangelizo, and that is, occurs 54 times and it means to bring or announce good news. So good news, if we, if we, if these words are what the word, the English word gospel is derived from, and it means good news, we need to understand what is the good news. Is it social justice? Using the words from Mr. Pavlovitz, is it checking of power, healing of wounds? care for the poor, lifting of the marginalized, the feeding of the hungry and the making of peace? Is that good news or is there something more to it? So let me be very clear. 
those things, checking of power, healing of wounds, caring for the poor, lifting the marginalized, feeding the hungry and making peace, they're, they're good things. Don't misunderstand me. And as Christians, we should be living our lives in such a way that we pursue these things, caring for the poor, lifting the marginalized, visiting the, the, the lonely, uh, you know, on and on and on. I've said this in my last episode. I ranted for a while that as Christians, we are hypocritical at times, some of us more often than, than others. And we sin and we fail in many of these endeavors. That is not an excuse by any stretch of the imagination. We need to continually remind ourselves of our blessing and, and giftedness from God that not only are we saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but to bring, we've been, we've been encouraged, we've been uh, commanded to take this good news, this gospel out to the world in order to save them. Not, not that we save them, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would be saved. Okay. And that is part of the loving your neighbor as yourself. It isn't do these things and you will be saved. It is because you have heard the gospel, the good news, which I will outline in several passages here. And you believed in that you receive the good news and you are born again. And then you go with the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you go in power and share this good news, but you also love them. So we need to start by understanding why do we even need to hear this good news? And it starts with the understanding that all mankind has sinned. This is an area that the progressive movement does not necessarily agree with. There may be some that hold to that, but by and large, many do not. Biblically speaking, all of us have sinned. The book of Romans tells us very clearly, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death immediately and physical death to come. And we know death is a real thing. It happens to all of us. And that is a result of sin. How do we fix this? We need to understand further that this sin was committed against God. We committed treason. We disobeyed God. And because of that, we have been separated from God and will be under his wrath, just justly being punished for our sin into eternity, separated from God, destined to hell. So that said, the question is, how do we get out from under that? Is it through social justice endeavors, being you know kind to people and uh, caring for the poor and the needy and visiting the the widow and the orphan and and all those things? That isn't what Scripture teaches. In fact, if we look at what Scripture teaches, I'm going to rattle off several passages from Scripture, as is my practice to bring us to scripture to see for ourselves and examine it ourselves, what does it have to say in relation to this topic that we're talking about, which is the gospel, okay? In the gospel of John, in the very first chapter, 
I encourage you to start at verse 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. This is the passage that talks about in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's verse 1. Chapter 9 or uh, verse 9 says, The true light that gives light to everyone has come, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And I'll end it there. So what is this born again thing? It's not something we decide we're going to have children kind of a thing. It is supernatural and it's of God. Born again, born of God. Okay. This is salvation that we're made alive. We're, we were dead and now we're made alive. This is ultimately the result of the gospel. Salvation is a result of the gospel, the good news. Okay. Let's keep reading. The Apostle Paul defines for us what is this good news. Very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So you're holding to this gospel. Verse 2, by this gospel... You are saved, okay, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. You don't deviate from the gospel message I gave you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So if you do deviate and you believe something else, you're believing, in, you're believing something empty, vain. Verse 3, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. And the reason he says that is, go check it out. They're still here. They're still alive and among us. So this is written so soon after Christ's death and resurrection that there are still eyewitness accounts of that. Go ask them. This is real. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as one as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than any of them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then... It is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. Okay, clearly, salvation comes from 
the gospel. The gospel. And Paul, or Paul defines the gospel as Christ dying and rising again. Dying for our sins and rising again. Well, why does he have to do that? Because we could not pay the debt. We can't. We are sinners, dead spiritually. You cannot come back to life on your own. You're dead. We need a savior, someone to do it for us. And God in his grace and mercy and love took on flesh. The creator took on flesh, became like the creature to save the creature who rejected him, to redeem us to himself. What a loving God. What a loving God. And, and God the Son did it for us. What's called penal substitutionary death. Penal meaning penalty. He took the penalty that we deserved. He was our substitute where he took, he took what we deserved to get so that the debt could be paid off because he was able to pay it. God the Son, able to pay it but his righteousness would be applied to us and we would be saved. We would be made alive, born again. That is the gospel. Let's keep reading. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, same letter that we just quoted from, but chapter 1, verse 20, it says, where is the wise person? Now, this is kind of going after this new progressive movement, which is not new. It used to be called the emergent church. And prior to that, it was called liberal Christianity. But this is dealing with that. Uh, those people that are looking for wisdom. And the Apostle Paul deals with that. He writes, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who God has called both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, let's be very clear. This is speaking to humans so that we can understand God is not weak. God is <laughs> all powerful. Okay. This is worded in such a way that we can relate to God. Okay. So, yes. God coming to earth, taking on flesh and paying the sin debt that mankind owed. This makes no sense. You're right. This is the foolishness of God that natural man looks at and goes, what? It makes no sense. Who does that? Especially when you talk about God. <laughs> what God would come to earth, become a man only to pay the debt of sin that mankind racked up? in order to redeem mankind to himself. This whole idea of justice and everything. Who, who would ever think of that? It's foolishness, but it is not. This is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians chapter two, 
another one that I have regularly quoted and you ought to memorize. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, or your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live and when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses or trans transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepares in advance for us to do. And I'll end that one there. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Something we receive, just like news is. You hear the news, you receive the news. Salvation is a gift from God. It's received. I give you a gift. You receive the gift. Well, God gives us, gave us the gift of salvation through his son who paid the debt of sin by dying on the cross. That is the gospel. But notice even in this passage in, in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even those good works, God prepared for us. But it's clear, as a born-again believer who hears that gospel, that good news, and responds by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, hears it and responds and says, yes, Lord, I believe, forgive me of my sin, I believe, and are born again, we will do good works not for salvation, but because of salvation, loving our neighbor as ourself, visiting the lonely, caring for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the marginalized, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to all peoples, no matter what their race or religion or, or location is, with a hope and praying that God the Holy Spirit would move in their hearts to let them hear, give them life, and allow them to receive this gift in faith, all of which is a work of God. That is our calling. And then we spend time with them to love them and teach them and guide them into all truth. That is discipleship. All of that is our command, our commission from God to take the gospel, the good news, to the lost and dying in the world in order that God would save them.
when the progressive Christians talk about social justice is at the heart of the gospel, that is not the gospel of, of the Bible. As we become born again by the grace of God, it's a gift. The Holy Spirit sets us apart or sanctifies us and begins to make us more and more holy, more and more like Christ over time, bringing, to, bringing us to an awareness of sins that we're committing, um, whether that's not being caring about people around us and so on and so forth, or maybe you know private sins that we're committing. And over time, makes us more and more like Christ, sanctifies us, makes us holy. Yet we are also called to strive to become holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. God does the work, but empowers us to be able to support that trajectory of our life. I'm going to leave us with this last passage coming out of Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to set the story a little bit. In Acts chapter 3, at the very end of the chapter, Peter and John are walking into the temple and they see a man that's crippled. He asks for money and they turn around and say, we don't have money, but what we have will give to you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. So this man is healed. Well, the Jews get word of that and, and they basically arrest uh, Peter and John, throw them in jail. Next day, they bring them in front of the high priest and the leaders to be questioned. And they ask the question, by what power or name do you do this? So this healing and all this preaching you're talking about, by what power or name do you do this? That's their question. And we pick up in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Acts. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's born again, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and then he quotes from the Old Testament, a prophecy. Jesus is the stone who uh, you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Then he says this in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Folks, that is the good news, the gospel, that God sent his son to become flesh in order to become our propitiation, to pay the debt of sin mankind owed God in order that God can send the righteousness of Christ to those he's called. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit quickens the heart and the ears and the eyes of those that are called in order to hear the good news. Because you're dead spiritually, he makes you alive to hear and receive it and be saved. Then, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to go and bring that same message of hope 
to the lost around us and love them, loving our neighbor as ourself, which we progress in as we are sanctified. But in context, is the gospel, is the heart of the gospel social justice? No, <laughs> no. The heart of the gospel is Christ crucified. I am so thrilled that you joined me. And I look forward to having you back as we continue to endeavor one more episode into progressive Christianity, looking at that fourth sign, which I made reference of early. Uh, the Actually, I made reference to it, but the fourth sign is historic terms are redefined. That will be what we look at next week as we wrap up this series on progressive Christianity. I want to encourage you to subscribe to the channel or follow the channel. Leave me a comment, send me a message, send me an email at wecantkeepsilent at gmail.com. Like the channel, like the, the episode, and share this with others. I'd love to have them join in the conversation. And I look forward to you back, uh, coming back next time. And until then, be blessed.